This is a Socialist News and Views special interview. I'm Nick Schillingford coming to you from the Urban Cabin Studios in South Minneapolis with this special interview. So on Socialist News and Views, we let folks introduce themselves. Do you want to just tell listeners who you are? Yeah, I'm Maki Ash Van Steenwick. I do a handful of things. Uh, the kind of the big thing people know me for these days is I direct the Center for Prophetic Imagination. I also do some writing, a little bit of speaking and that kind of stuff. Spiritual direction. Yeah. Stuff like that. No. Yeah, there's... Uh... You have a website and you have a lot of uh, details listed. And every time I look, I find something new that you do uh, or have achieved or are working well, on. It's, yeah, when it's you're a nerd with ADHD, you just have <laughs> lots of things going. Exactly. So, so that's, uh, you know, I got on uh, I got on some medications for that not too long ago because my nerd with ADHD was like getting me to this really bad burnout. Yeah, phase. I'm, so, uh, I'm going to have to up my uh, doses. Yeah. It's not- yeah, I'm trying to decide where I'm at with my uh, doses. I felt like I was a little bit over to start with, but now it's kind of like, like yeah, it was too much at down. first, and then yeah, now I have to. I what I need is like a you know Bane from the DC comic yeah. books. I need a backpack filled with Adderall that pumps <laughs> stuff directly into my body so I can like yeah, write out when I need to focus. I think they're running short on all that stuff these days, aren't they? So like they won't they, even they, they can't even give people the the Adderall they need because mostly because of stupid DEA regulations that haven't kept pace with the number of people that need uh, things. Anyway, mm-hmm. so uh, we haven't uh, seen each other in person for a while. So I think the last time I saw you, you were giving a guest sermon at I was trying to remember what it was. I think it was like Living Table UCC on yes, Living Table United Church of Christ, subversive spirit. I did find the uh, the actual uh, title of the sermon. I think I don't know if you titled it or they did, but and in that you said I did. Yeah, I I, I thought that might be, but I wasn't one hundred percent sure. They uh, I love alliteration, so yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> the the uh, in the sermon you said uh, I think the you know, kind of the peak of the, the radicalness or the, you know, laying down all the stuff on the people that were there that, uh, I don't know, they kind of seemed like a little bit of regular churchy types to me, but, uh, that, that, you know, I don't go to church that much, so I, I, I can't really assess that, but you said the Holy spirit is queer. And I think that mm-hmm. was kind of like the peak of, you know, where you were working. And then you said, um, uh, you know, that was in talking about the subversive spirit. Do you want to just talk about that other that idea and then anything else from that sermon that you think like you know fed into what you were thinking sharing uh, at that time sure and you know it is interesting because the folks there like were clearly you know very familiar with attending church so it's not too bad to say that they're churchy but most of them are older and queer so in some ways i was speaking to the choir but i find that a lot of people still uh, relate to their spirituality and religion as sort of a system of moral morality and kind of Mm. obedience. Sure. And I don't really look at it that way. And um, to me, the spirit, you know, you could, there's all the formal ways you could talk about what the spirit is or the Holy spirit. But for me, I tend to focus on what like our experience. Right. 
So we don't experience the third member of the Trinity or whatever. What we do is we have moments of clarity where we can make choices that are different than kind of the predetermined script. And so for me, what the spirit is, among other things, at the very least, the, the spirit queers things. The spirit uh, uh, nurtures deviance from oppression and oppressive systems. And so to me, the spirit is queer or queering. Um, the spirit is subversive. And I would even say, like, if, if your spirituality isn't subversive, it's not really spirituality, at least the way I tend to define it nurtures deviance i think that's what i was looking for before that uh that i remember from the uh from the sermon and then yeah obviously the subversive spirit talking about yeah the the subversive mm -hmm. nature i think you know i think all the uh 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 i think i would hope all the you know really good radicals that have some uh foot in the spiritual space would um not see it only as a code of morals and rules or whatever, but it is, it is interesting how many other people then internalize that, even though they know that all these people exist, they then <laughs> see it as that, um, which is well, and, strange. You know, and like, you know, and just having the idea, like, so, you know, I'm assuming most of the people listening to this, including us are anti-capitalist, but that doesn't right. stop us from being anxious all the time because of, the way that capitalist messaging kind of just shows up in our bodies. Right. Um, so I think people tend to relate to spirituality from the position of obedience to an authority. And, mm. You know, I'm an anarchist, so I don't like that. But I also think it's not helpful because there's very little discernment in that. You just have to figure out what your order is. And right. to me, you know, if you, from the Christian perspective, if we go like traditional, the spirit shows up anytime in scripture, something is about to be like, twisted or flipped over right um but that's true for other spiritual traditions too and even if you're not spiritual like you know reading uh different uh liberation psychologists or different psychoanalysts who care about liberation they'll talk about subjective experience and to me that's kind of spirituality it's that interior movement and how you show up in the world and you can be an atheist and kind of function that way and not call it spirituality that's fine that's but that's basically what I'm talking about. How do we perceive possibilities for action that we would otherwise not perceive? It's kind of the, the nub for me. And it's not just about being clever and reading lots of analysis because there's all right. sorts of nerds who are locked in, you know, <laughs> but they've read all of Marx. Like it doesn't necessarily translate into your body. No, it's true. And again, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of uh, contradictions between, you know, what people think and how they behave and how they act in the world. And mm -hmm. they're, I mean, they're also living, you know, within an ecosystem that again, is yeah, inhabited by lots of propaganda and messaging and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, you and I uh, first connected, I um, was coming to when it was the Mennonite worker uh, communal meal sharing and a service, mm -hmm. which included, you know, some time of, of silence. Um, mm -hmm. and you know, at that time, my understanding was, and I don't come from a, you know, really religious background. My understanding was, it was like a Christian anarchist community. Um, mm -hmm. and I, I, I think I've read some of your posts recently where you've talked about, you know, whether you do or don't. And then I think 
later that you don't really consider yourself a Christian anymore. Um, and then you just said you consider yourself an anarchist. So that was my next part of, you know, where are you at on, in, in that, uh, in that milieu? Are you, if you don't mm-hmm. consider yourself a Christian and I, I guess you do consider yourself an anarchist, what do you, how do you, uh, how do you uh, frame your identity uh, uh, politically and spiritually these days? Well, you know, to me, anything like when we're talking about identities or like categories we put ourselves into, they, to me, they, they should open up possibilities rather than limit things. This is kind of a good critique of identity politics in general, right? right? Like they're supposed to serve something else. Like you can't just say, this is my brand now. Um, And so in my relationship with both those words, Christianity and anarchism, like it, it's complicated. So um, all of my education is in kind of some sort of ministry related field. I'm a scholar of uh, Christian movements and Christian radicalism. Um, but I don't consider myself one, not because I somehow like hate Jesus now or don't believe there's anything spiritual that's valuable within Christianity. It's just I'm not included um, at a categorical level. You know, there are exceptions, um, but as a, a transgender woman, like it's, yeah, and plus the default setting of obeying God as an authority, like the the traditional right. assumptions with it, it's like, well, you know, at this point, most people who tend to see things the way I see things would not call themselves Christians. And those that do, I'm like, okay, I'm glad you're a Christian. I'm not ragging on it exactly. It's just to me, it's at this point, I feel like it'd be better for Christianity to cease to exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't need, my spirituality doesn't depend upon uh, identifying as a Christian, participating in any Christian organizations, any of that. And I want to be a little bit broader in my understanding of, you know, how the spirit moves in the world or what the spirit or spirituality is. And so it just doesn't serve me or really help anyone for me just to claim Christianity um, anymore. Anarchism is like, I'm an anarchist, but like, you know, it's like how everyone hears the word socialist, you know, in our society and they start thinking about like the worst things that Stalin ever did. Right. You know, and or the, a pole pot or something, right? They just think about the worst things they've heard of. And so you try to explain what socialism is. It's an uphill battle. Anarchism is just, or even more of an uphill battle. Right. Because you get all sorts of libertarian right-wingers that think they're anarchists, um, when really anarchism is just kind of a particular anti-authoritarian strand within socialism, but Mm. it's not the only one. So, you know, like on another day, I might say, well, I'm an anti-authoritarian socialist. Or I might say that I'm an abolitionist because abolition as a kind of framework is getting a lot of traction these days. And that's very similar to the anarchist tradition, but it's focused on the specific uh, oppressive and carceral systems in front of us now. So it's kind of like, we don't need a big philosophy to tackle this. Right. So I'm like, okay. So all those things kind of work. Um, I tend to think of myself in that tradition of Peter Kropotkin and the uh, anarcho-communist sort of strand. Sure. But, you know, that really only, that kind of uh, clarification only helps when you're talking about someone who knows who Peter Kropotkin is and what anarcho-communism is and gets <laughs> right. in the way otherwise. It's it's complicated. Mm-hmm. Bit, well, yeah, I mean, I, you know, Socialist News and Views, this podcast that I do is, uh, 
you know, it's a very broad uh, use of that term socialism. So, yeah. So mm -hmm. I have a lot of people on that, you know, would probably, according to other people that are there, would, you know, be from anarchist to, you know, some form of liberal uh, based on their perspective from where they are or what their um, background is. And I, th I think, um, you know, somebody I... I don't watch a ton of YouTube content, although I get recommended mm -hmm. something to watch on YouTube, like probably a couple times a day, uh, mm -hmm. but I don't have time, but I do watch, um, you know, I do watch uh, uh, Richard Wolf on occasion. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, mm -hmm. He's just good. Cause he, you know, kind of like set sets things up from that point of like, you know, socialism is not some like, you know, mo monolithic uh, thing that, means one specific thing it is a whole host of different uh strains of thought etc um mm -hmm. so uh i was gonna say i don't know if i i don't know if i ever mentioned this but um when i first connected with uh the mennonite worker it was right after because like i said i don't really you know i didn't really grow up with religion as like a primary thing although there was you know mm -hmm. I did attend a few different churches for different reasons at different times but mostly those related to other people around uh me i think but mm -hmm. I, I had actually read um this book the pope's war why ratzinger's secret crusade has imperiled the church and how it can be saved by matthew fox uh that i had picked up oh secret. matthew fox okay and uh so it's 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 interesting because because two of the things that i specifically remember from that because i didn't you know i don't remember all the details was just kind of like discussing the uh, counterposing of like liberation theology in Latin America versus the extreme right wing uh, religious folks that were super tied into like the fascists and the dictators and, you know, just basically were horrible people at every level and did very, um, you know, things that uh, I would not consider to be um, good or right or <laughs> in any way. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other part was that one of the things that specifically mentioned was worth saving was home church uh was the was the phrasing of that and so you know and at that time there was other reasons that i was kind of like i had kind of been around some um uu unitarian universalist folks mm -hmm. not for church but for like a film group that i was going to and i found them very like talk shop and liberal and they like to talk about some participation in the civil rights movement historically but then anything you talk to them about about current things they didn't seem at least this particular group did not seem super motivated to actually uh participate in anything so, mm -hmm. so that was how i came to the mennonite worker originally and you know the fact that it was with inside of a home or whatever was like uh and and the part that it was you know that it was like more radical uh was was kind of what appealed to me um, and so I had ended up, uh, ended up there, but now, um, you know, the Mennonite worker was, a, a previous, um, a previous time, a previous era. And you did mention at the beginning and I didn't have it in my specific questions, but I just wanted to, um, to find out. So what's going on? What, uh, how are things with the center for prophetic imagination and what is the trajectory of that, uh, entity at this time these days? Yeah, so for those who <clears throat> who are just hearing about the Center for Prophetic Imagination for the first time, uh, that was kind of a project that um, uh, a former community member of the Mennonite Worker, uh, Caspian Jensen, and I started um, when things were kind of like 
sunsetting with the Mennonite worker, um, which, you know, we did a lot of Catholic worker style hospitality. We owned some, you know, houses and stuff, but like we didn't have a lot of money coming in. So there's foreclosure and needing to sell and all kinds of stuff. So, so we started focusing on kind of like, you know, that prophetic tradition within Christianity in particular, like what does it mean to, to intentionally cultivate that prophetic kind of posture? Um, you know, and so we started doing kind of more creative things and just trying stuff out, doing different a actions. Um, but over time, it's become like, you know, it's a small staff. Like now we have two halftime people. Right. Um, for a while there, it was just me uh, halftime. So there's only so much you can do. Um, so we started cultivating more and like once the pandemic hit, we started moving towards what can we do online? Right. So I started uh, uh, with uh, a friend at the Minnesota Institute of Contemplation and Healing. We started a spiritual direction training program, which is a loaded term, but basically it's kind of like uh, I meet with people once a month and kind of like listen to them and help them <clears throat> reflect back what they're saying so they can discern like how to move through life. Like right. it's not like life coaching because I'm not telling people what to do. I'm just helping people kind of focus. Right. And I bring a very anti-capitalist sort of lens to that. And so we've been doing this now for uh, in our third year. So you know, every year we take on new students. Increasingly, uh, our students are queer and international. Um, so we're getting a lot of radical, uh, and a lot of them are Christians, not all of them, from you know Africa and parts of Europe and the Philippines. That's and, awesome. Uh, so, it, so that's exciting and it's, um, poses a challenge because it's like, you know, it's not, like, not a lot of income right. <laughs> like from queer people in the, right, the right. quote unquote two thirds world. Right. Um, but to me, that's where it's at. So <clears throat> helping people discern for themselves what spirituality is and how they nurture it in a way that's radical. Um, so that's a lot of what my work is these days. And I'm also doing some writing. Hopefully I'll publish something in the next year. It's been like almost a decade since I've written, published anything. So Yeah, and that's going to bring me on to yeah. my next question. But I, I just made me think of the meme when you said you, you bring kind of an anti-capitalist lens to it. It makes me think of that meme that's like uh, I bring a kind of anti-capitalist vibe to to the situation that, you know, the authoritarians mm -hmm. don't like or something like that. When it's, there's that uh, I bring a certain vibe to the workplace that so-and-so doesn't like. Mm -hmm. I don't remember. I can't even keep up with all the memes these days, but I remember that. Yeah, there's too many memes to uh, really keep track of. Um, <clears throat> and then the other thing I was going to say is that there was a very, um, you know, trying different things was definitely a part of the Mennonite worker that I remember from when I was coming there on a pretty regular basis. Um, you know, I was going through some rough stuff too myself. And so it was like something that I was regularly doing. Um, and so I remember, you know, that silence was a part of the, um, uh, of the uh, uh, experience, which is kind of mm -hmm. like the Quaker. I had gone to a Quaker yep. service previously. So there's kind of a, um, I was kind of familiar with that idea, but that was like part of it. And there was music, which I think to me, like music to me is like potentially the most spiritual thing, maybe outside mm -hmm. of like you know, mass protest or something like that, mm -hmm. which can be pretty spiritual. But like, I think, I think music and singing can be really, um, really good especially when people are like on the same page and um and so that was part of it and then i also remember you know like going outside and having like uh you know uh irl experiences as part of some of the um 
services or whatever you want to call it. Um, so that was mm-hmm. kind of neat. So there was definitely like a, an experimental nature. And then there was obviously there was a, a meal as well. So I, uh, I definitely appreciated that. Uh, and especially at the time, like I said, I was just dealing with a lot of stuff. So it was good to, uh, to have that as something to do. So I appreciate that. Yeah. I remember, like I'm thinking like, <clears throat> so the little in real life things would be, I'm assuming like when there's, if we were like reflecting on the passage about consider the lilies of the field, I remember like telling people like, go, we should go do that then. Like, we're yeah. not going to sit here and talk about it. What, what the point, what's the point of that? There's I a think park we walked out into the woods at least once or it was like, yeah, go out this door and just keep walking until you hit that woods there. And then, and then, you know, enjoy it for, you know, experience it for so much of a period of time and then come back or something mm-hmm. like that, which I thought was, yeah, it's definitely not what they do at, uh, your average church most of the time anyway at least that i've mm-hmm. seen um and you mentioned the writing part and uh, i also uh you know i was just reviewing your website again and it does say on there one of the one of the the headlines there was a subversive scribe uh, which is mm-hmm. more of that good alliteration alliteration that <laughs> i love yeah and you have written a lot um both published and probably even more unpublished um because mm-hmm. you know what you do takes is is there's a lot of writing involved um do you want to talk a little bit about your past writing and then you said publish something in the future you know what what kinds of things are you working on now or what what are your hopes for the future as far as the writing goes Mm -hmm. so yeah all my books are published under my dead name Mm. um mark van steenwick so i wrote a book called um unkingdom which is kind of a uh kind of a reflection on kind of a sort of you could say Christian anarchism, but it's a little broader than that. But I also have um, a littler book called That Holy Anarchist, which is specifically kind of a little primer on kind of Christian anarchism. Um, and I wrote a children's book called A Wolf at the Gate, which is one of my favorite things I, I wrote. <clears throat> and it's a retelling of the story of St. Francis and the Wolf of Gubbio. But then I make up, I retell that story with some you know creative license and then i add uh like a whole second part to the book about what happens with the wolf and the wolf is red wolf is a socialist right uh the wolf is a radical so it's really a way of cultivating radical things for for our kids there's like a there's an audiobook version of it there's like a children's music album oh nice uh i don't know if i know about that one it's good like uh John Felton and his Soulmobile is the band that did the music, but I wrote some of the lyrics and I, oh, nice. I sing in one of them. So, that's so that was, that's fun. And so <clears throat> since then I haven't published anything, I mean, maybe stuff in like some publications or magazines maybe, but sure. um, currently I'm writing my dissertation um, on socio-spiritual discernment, which, you know, just to, frame that real quick it's like well okay so if you have a view of society which i tend to that's based off of like thinkers like foucault or judith butler where we're kind of locked in the social script is something that we perform and we don't have as many real meaningful choices as we think mm-hmm. so we're kind of a little fucked right so what do you do about that how do you discern how to act in a way that isn't based upon you submitting to external authority right or moralism um, and to me, that's what discernment is. But most approaches to discernment, which is a kind of a spiritual term, tend to be very individualistic. So I'm trying to build a, a spirituality and a model for how you 
do socio discernment in a way right. that is still true to like these liberationist spiritual impulses. Um, so I'm doing that dissertation um, for my dissertation, but I'm hoping to present it in a way that's more readable to the broader public. Not exactly like a an airport book, but something that anyone who's someone doesn't have to be familiar with Michel Foucault's writings to be able to understand it, that kind of a thing. Right. Um, and I'm also working on the first of a series of four, uh, like it's kind of uh, Harry Potter age kind of books uh, about set in the distant future uh, where humanity has been judged and wiped out. Um, and there is a little, uh, there's a squirrel uh, who has been tasked with trying to save the world. Now it sounds kind of like, cutesy but you know if anybody's read watership down it's like mm. kind of a bummer and it's apocalyptic it's more like that right the fact that there are animals uh and it doesn't make it cutesy it's just kind of it raises the stakes of how grim it is because there's a reason human beings aren't there anymore. right yeah well that those both sound uh good uh and mm. uh, so you said some, publish something like in a year or so what uh, which of those are you talking about potentially or i'm hoping to try to get both of them okay, like at least exciting. A, uh, a, a you know a completed draft of each within a year well that will be exciting um but we'll, we'll see you know the adhd part no know. i know yeah it's all of <laughs> it, it it decides for itself where you're gonna go next and what you're gonna do and like i don't know it's Let's look at my, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Look at any of my lists of anything and you'll see that the changing over time because I'm going on different, you know, uh, fads or different, uh, mm -hmm. interests or different, what have you. Um, so yeah, I mean, do you, uh, I, I was going to wrap up, but I just was thinking, you know, do you think, uh, you said that the, the books are published under your dead name and mm -hmm. I'm just thinking, you know, you've also, you know, undergone a lot of uh, changes in your mm -hmm. life. Uh, like, as we mentioned, in a lot of identities, including the Christian piece and other stuff. Does it seem mm -hmm. like, like, do you identify with all the things you've written in a certain sense still? Or does it feel like, like going through the experience of writing it and then it's kind of like, you've kind of almost moved on to the next peace and like you're kind of does that make sense like you're kind of like beyond it or you're sure. that or you're that plus <laughs> like this additional piece that you're now you're grappling with um do you see what i'm saying like do, yeah I, there, I, I there's some, some authors things. that say like their book once they do it it's like it's i'm done with it that is not that is not a, in my thought process anymore i'm on to the next thing and i wonder if you feel anything like that in it or if it feels like it's one continuous line or how you it, feel it's a mix yeah it's a mix like i definitely stand by some of it mm -hmm. um i'm you know i cringe at other parts of it sure um some of the, the theology that i was kind of working from but mostly i kind of generally see it as like um that's who i was at the time right and and it's so therefore by definition it's less mature sure so it's underdeveloped and there's some directions that i want to go in but the and i would take some things back but not enough to be like ashamed of it or right. critic like too critical of it it's just you know those are training wheels and right now we should ride our big kid bikes like that yeah. kind of a thing 
And I mean, I think, yeah, if you're going to be, if you're actually going to be, you know, honest and, and be sharing and thinking and developing ideas in the moment, then that's how it's going to be all the time is that it's going to be, you know, a mixed bag at the very, uh, at the very least. And again, yeah, you're learning new things all the time. And that's the thing to keep in mind is that we're all starting off from wherever we're starting off from. And that's always the Mm -hmm. hard thing too, is to, um, you know, once you've read something or you've, you know, grappled with an idea to remember that other people haven't yet. And it's hard to put yourself mm-hmm. in that headspace sometimes to write again. Like you said, if they haven't actually read Foucault or whatever, or they haven't read this or read that, like you have to like put that idea within a, you know, uh, a broader narrative that actually makes sense to people that haven't read every single book that you've read. And that is often a lot easier said than done because we yeah, it's, that's in a, our own space. It's a hard one for me. I feel like yeah. I try hard to break things down, but I have no idea like what inside my head is weird all the right. time. So, you know, I think, you know, I used to get in trouble for be, coming off like an elitist mm. and, and which wasn't, you know, I was just neurodivergent and didn't understand. Now I'm still neurodivergent. I just understand a little bit better. So I try, um, but you know, I'm aware that there's all kinds of things I've put out there that have been um, misunderstood or oversimplified to the point where people don't really understand what I'm saying a lot of the time. Um, And I find out that the hard way after the fact, Um, and that's a bummer to me because I really care about this stuff. So I, you know, you have to keep working at it. And then also um, I don't know what it is about me, but like, it's hard for me uh, to stay confined by my previous work. So people might think I'm a little flaky because I'm always like hunting that edge, like discerning moving forward, um, which is important in how I instinctively live my life. Um, But other people like they stay in their lane their whole lives and they're seen and not seen as a virtue. Um, To me, it's not how it works. So if I change my views on something, it doesn't mean I was like, didn't hold it strongly before. Right. It just means that um, I'm beholden to something outside of myself in a way. That's a good thing. Right. And you never know who's going to, you know, read something you write necessarily either, or at what stage Mm -hmm. in, you know, their process, they're going to read it. And also everybody's always changing. So they could read it once and think, oh yeah, Mm -hmm. this is like a elitist garbage. That's like painting this, this way. And then later they read it and they're like, actually, I was missing everything of what was said in here. And this is actually really saying something quite different than the way that I interpreted it the first time. So it's like, you know, you Mm -hmm. just, People, you know, at different times, like you said, you know, gain some maturity, insight, perspective, whatever, all of the above. And then you read it again and then you're like, oh, that's what that's what that meant. I completely missed all that. It's like watching uh, Starship Troopers in the year 2000 and watching it now. Right. Tons of people thought that was a fascistic movie. And now they're like, oh, shit, it's actually a satire of fascism. We missed it. Right. So it's kind of, you know, one of those things. I'm just making a plug for one of my favorite uh, underappreciated films. I like that film quite <laughs> quite well as well. So, well, yeah. I really appreciate you speaking with me, Ash. You know, is there anything else you want to share about, you know, subversive spirit or writing or anything else before you go? Otherwise, I feel like we, you know, covered a lot of good ground. And no, I think that you know, that's kind of it for now. And that's our special interview. Thanks for listening. Solidarity. This has been a Socialist News and Views special interview.